watching that are new as well too. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but we are, as a church, we're very excited uh, to be participating in and celebrating in uh, national movement today that's uh, called Back to Church Sunday. It's a big national movement that's all across the country. Uh, all across the country, we have got the body of Christ uh, where we're gathering together to reflect on and to reclaim uh, the true nature of the church as the place of Christ's love. Uh, the place of his hope uh, for ourselves, our friends, our neighbors, our communities, and our world. And so as a church, we are the collective hands and we are the collective feet of Jesus Christ who reflect him and do his work in the world as we grow in relationship with him and with each other. And so, uh, you know, it's not just a group of friends uh, not just a group of, uh, you know, families within your own church, but this movement that we're part of today. You know, we've got people who are gathering in, in churches, you know, throughout the state. Uh, we've got some churches, uh, different counties around here, people who are watching virtually at home, people on the other side of the country, and people all around the world today. And uh, so we're very excited about that. Um, whatever path has led you here today, let me just say this again, that we're honored that you are with us this morning. Um, if you're new, we want to get to know you. And uh, if you're back, man, we are so excited uh, to be back here together again. So this is a Sunday of belonging. It's a Sunday um, of being together. And, and, and really, when we look at Scripture, we see that together is really where we belong. Because, you know, we see through Scripture that we're stronger together. You know, if there's ever any doubt or any sense of taking it for granted, I'd say that this pandemic, you know, when you think about it, sure has reminded us you know, that, that, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Now, I know that sounds kind of cliche-ish, uh, but it's a cliche because there's some truth to it, you know? Um, having to distance ourselves from each other uh, has really provided for us a powerful reminder of the value and the importance of our need for connection. You know, we've, we've all been living through the most tangible reminder in our collective lifetimes that we need each other. You know, the reminder that we belong in community and that we are truly much stronger together. And as we talk about that today, what I want you to do is, if you've got your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4. We're going to start there this morning. And that uh, was kind of cool last week to see... Uh, we, we, we made note that if you ever need a Bible, we've got them in the back, and, and uh, they're just kind of like flying off the shelves last week, so that's awesome. I hope you brought them with you. But as we get into this passage this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a little bit of background into the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes, uh, when we look at it, is one of the Bible's uh, wisdom books. Um, its narrator is, uh, if, if you look, it's either the teacher or the preacher, depending on your translation. And the book uh, of Ecclesiastes is usually credited to Solomon as the author or someone who is writing down for Solomon. It, it doesn't exactly say. Uh, most of us are familiar with the book of Proverbs, but um, you know we love reading those, those little Proverbs. But I bet most of us probably aren't turning our Bibles uh, to the pages uh, again and again of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, it can be a little bit harder to read when you're reading through Ecclesiastes. It can sound, honestly, if you read it, it can sound kind of downright bleak in certain spots of it. Um, as the writer, what, what, what he's doing through that is exploring the futilities and the emptiness of life. And ultimately, the, the book walks through the ironies uh, and empty pursuits of life. And what it does is it really points towards trusting God as the only absolute and as you're reading through the book of Ecclesiastes, it offers many wise insights along the way. And so that brings us uh, to the passage today. Uh, the passage that we're in today, Solomon is talking about companionship. Okay, he's talking about needing each other. And here's what he writes, chapter 4, verse 9. He says, two are better than one. 
because they have a good return for their labor. He says, for if one falls down, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to help him up. He says again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? And though one may be overpowered, two can resist. Moreover, Solomon says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Did you catch that last part there that Solomon wrote down, right? He says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, most of us, or most of you in this room, have probably uh, used a rope at some time or another. I'm going to guess, okay? You've seen a rope, but have you ever really truly looked at a rope very closely? You know, even if you haven't, you probably know that when you look at a rope, a rope consists of several or, or even many different strands braided together. Now, Now, individually... Each of those strands might hold a little bit of weight, but, 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 but it's when those strands are woven together, when they're, they're mended together, that their strength multiplies exponentially. Let me ask you this. Would you rather water ski behind a boat with a line of craft string or a braided nylon tow rope, right? There's probably not much contest there. The truth of the matter is that the string probably wouldn't even get you out of the water. You know, how about, how about this one? Would you rather rock climb on a thousand foot rock face in Yosemite National Park, okay, attached to a line of yarn or tied to a climbing rope, right? Again, there's no contest. I mean, that one's got a little bit higher stakes than the water skiing one, but there's no contest whatsoever. You'd want to be tied in and tethered to that rope. You see, rope is a pretty amazing tool, right? We may not use it every day in our lives, but back in the days of Scripture, back in the days of the Bible, rope was really a revolutionary tool. In fact, rope goes back as far as human history, I mean, think of all of the things that ancient people could do with rope. If you had a rope, right, it meant that you could catch or you could tie up an animal and you could keep that animal near you or you could lead it, all of which led to food and led to survival. Rope meant that you could, you know, pull or hoist a, a heavy object, which meant that you could build things, things like structures and, and homes. And if you were an Egyptian, you'd be building pyramids. It might mean that you could even move or carry something. It could help you to, to cross a river or to cross a chasm or even to, to hang food supplies in a safe spot away from all the, the wild animals. And when you think about rope, I mean, rope was really essential and still is in many parts for, for, for sailing, which was a revolutionary part of transportation in and of itself. And so, so rope, when we look at it, it was both a convenience and it was a lifesaver. And the important thing about rope is that it's always been made by twisting and weaving multiple strands of fibers together to make it stronger than just that one single strand alone. I mean, even in its earlier forms, people would, would weave, you know, grasses or reeds or bark to make them strong and, and, and rope-like. And as time passed on, people learned how to use fiber from plants and whatever the material was, it doesn't matter. But what is important is that weaving it together multiplied its strength into a more powerful rope. And, 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 and you know, I mean, even if you were to, to, to look at a modern rope today and pull it apart and examine it, you'd see that the pattern repeats itself into stronger and stronger results. I mean, the thinnest fibers are spun together into yarns, which are then woven together into strands, which are then braided together into ropes. And see, the, the thing is, is that, that we're very much the same way. You know, like we are like rope, right? We're, we're stronger as we're woven together by and with Jesus Christ. And, and that, that happens on multiple levels. And so today, what I wanna do is I wanna look at three ways kind of like three strands of our rope, if you will, that make us stronger together. 
And the first one is this, is that we're stronger in Christ, okay? When we talk about strength, when we talk about strength in any area, we must begin with Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is not only our source of strength, we need to understand this morning that Jesus is our strength. See, the Apostle Paul, he understood this very well. And, and he famously wrote in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, these words that probably most of you have heard, Paul penned these words. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so in context, Paul was talking about finding contentment in all circumstances, whether he was living with plenty or, or whether he was in want. But the bigger picture is that Paul was describing this reliance on and sufficiency in Jesus Christ instead of himself. You see, what Paul understood was that Christ was his life. He understood the truth that, that Jesus, as he was talking to his disciples, he, he gives them this beautiful picture that's found in John chapter 15. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the keeper of the vineyard. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes to make it even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus says, remain in me. And I will remain in you just as no branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. See, Jesus often drew examples from the landscape. And, and from the environment around him. And in this case, I mean, you know, maybe him and his disciples were, were walking through the countryside or seated on a hillside overlooking a vineyard. Now, you've probably seen, or maybe even some of you have visited, you know, a vineyard. Uh, maybe you've seen, you know, the picturesque vineyards, you know, on the Mediterranean countryside. And you've got these great vines that are just kind of interwoven across the, the trellises spreading out. And they've got these leafy branches just filled with, you know, these, these big, plump, juicy grapes. But see, it's the vine, it's the vine that's the main stock, right? The vine that is the, the trunk of the plant. It's the vine that's planted down into the soil, the vine that's kind of sending out the roots to draw the water and draw, draw the nutrients up out of the earth. Wine connoisseurs, they'll often talk about, they call it the terrier of, of a fine wine. And what that is, is that that's, those are the flavors and the characteristics of particular grapes that come from a specific location or a specific geography of soil of a vineyard's location. And so these wine connoisseurs, right, they pay attention to, to what year the wine was made because there's different factors that actually affect each year's harvest. Things like storms and soil and, and dryness and, and heat and cold and all of these characteristics, it's pretty cool, transferred from the soil through the vine into the grapes. In other words, what that means is that the vine influences everything about the grape. The vine is the life source of the branches and the fruit. And so you don't have to be a wine snob, right, or a farmer to know that if you cut those branches from the vine, those branches are dead. They'll, 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 they'll shrivel up very quickly because they have no life source. Their strength and, and their vitality are in the vine. And without it, they're lost. Without that, that vine, they're disconnected. Without that vine, they are starved for life. You see, this is why Jesus... This is why Jesus reminds his disciples and he reminds us to, to remain in him, to abide in him, to live in him. Jesus is the source of our life. Jesus is the source of our strength and this is the strength that we draw upon to live this life. 
This is the strength that we, we draw upon to face life's challenges and to, to really to, to transcend our human frailty to be the people that God is calling us to be. Even when we're weak. Which takes us to our next point. We're stronger in our weakness. Okay, we're stronger in our weakness. Now how does that make sense? I mean, when we're weak, we're, we're strong. It doesn't sound right. Now Paul the Apostle can also set, shed some light on this for us too. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes about some problem. He's got this ongoing trial, this, this challenge that, that, that he just continues to face on a continual basis. Now, we don't know exactly what it was, but that might actually be good for us because it can help us to relate. See, we all have some kind of weakness or, or we all have got some, some kind of struggle that we wish that we could get rid of, don't we? See, Paul describes his problem like a thorn that is stuck in his skin. It's this nagging pain that won't get, go away. But, but what Paul realizes is that this pain, this, this ongoing thorn in his flesh, what it's doing is it's teaching him an invaluable lesson. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. Paul says that the power of Christ may rest on me. That is why for the sake of Christ, he says, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And I love this part. Paul says, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. See, this is the paradox of, of the Christian life. I mean, it's a different way of living. It's actually a revolutionary way of living and looking at, at life. Because see, Jesus has given his life for us and when we accept and receive that gift, he gives us new life. He gives us a transformed life. Look, we can, we can try and try and try as much as we want to change and try and try and try to, to improve and, and to find satisfaction, to be strong, to overcome our problems, but it doesn't work. As Solomon you know, talks about in, in Ecclesiastes, he finds it... It's, it's all meaningless. Life is meaningless without God. And as Paul discovered, we can't, we can't shake that ongoing flaw. We can't shake that ongoing struggle on our own. But Jesus says, look, I've got this. He says, abide in me. Jesus says, live in me. He says, look, when you're weak, you know, it's okay because I'm strong. He says, your weakness gives more room for my strength to shine. It's a little bit like our rope analogy think about this rope really doesn't prove itself unless it's under stress think about that i mean you can tie a rope around a heavy load i mean you can clip it to your you know your rock climbing harness that you're you're into and, and i mean that rope is ready to go and if you're climbing maybe it helps you feel safer but that rope doesn't really truly do its job until it's tested I mean, that rope doesn't really truly do, it, do its job until you start the wedge and you pull that heavy load into the air or whatever that looks like or until you're 100 feet on that cliff and you fall. That's when you're weak and powerless. But that's exactly when the rope is strong. That's when the rope comes through to save the day and, and to save your life. You see, when we're weak, then there's no doubt that it's the strength of Christ that carries us through. And as we're going to see next, he weaves us into community to make us even stronger together. And that's our point number three, is that we're stronger together. See, together is where Christ magnifies his strength exponentially 
as we live out his love as the body of Christ. See, each of us is a single part woven together just like a rope into a much stronger unit to support each other and to function as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ on earth. Romans chapter 12 says it like this, just as each of us has one body with many members and not all members have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many are one body and each member belongs to one another. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If one's gift is prophecy, let him use it in proportion to his faith. You see, church, we're made to be together. As human beings, we're made to be together. We're created in the image of a triune God whose being exists in relationship. We've got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, we need each other. And, and, and we are stronger when we can lean on each other and we can support each other and, and, and understanding and, and we can, we're able to help each other. See, that's kind of how the early church worked. As these people, you know, in the early church, they're risking their lives in many cases to, to follow Jesus and to live like him. What we see in the early church is that they took care of each other in every way. They pulled together to make sure that their basic needs were met. They used their skills and their abilities and their resources to accomplish the work that Jesus had given them of spreading his love and spreading his gospel to the rest of the world. And so for the early church, what we see is that Jesus was their strength. And even though in many ways these, these guys were just this ragtag collection of powerless individuals in the midst of the mighty and oppressive Roman Empire, they eventually changed the world together. That sounds great, doesn't it? But I think it's easy for us to, admit, to dismiss the early Christians' way of life as kind of just like history. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that, that we could or we should exactly replicate the way they did things. We live in a, a different culture that shapes the ways and processes of our lives. But unfortunately, I think, you know, when, when I think about this, is that the American culture often gets in the way of our understanding and realization of what togetherness really means. Here in America, we have this long history of romanticizing and idealizing the rugged individual. I mean, think of those old Western movies, right? If anybody has ever watched those. Some of you may have even grown up watching these Westerns. And what comes to mind when you think of these guys? You know, you got like John Wayne and, and Clint Eastwood and, and the Lone Ranger. And so for years, what's happened is that Hollywood has served us this just steady diet of, of rugged cowboys who, who ride alone and they like it that way. Solitary figures who don't need or want anyone else. And there's a lot to be said for, you know, uh, American ingenuity and strong leaders. But in, in, in many ways, what's happened is we've bought into this lie of the rugged individual, the, the lone wolf right, who, who goes all alone and does it all on his own. Even the lone wolf image, when we think about that, really isn't accurate either. I mean, in reality, when you look at the wolves, they're pack animals. Right? They, they, they live and die together in a very organized social structures. In a, in a pack, each wolf has a different role. Each wolf does its own part to keep that pack alive and to keep that pack thriving. They hunt and they eat together. They mark their territory and they protect their homes together. They look out for each other. They know what's good for the pack and what's good for each individual animal. In fact, did you know that the alpha wolf actually makes sure that the pups get their food and they get to eat before the rest are allowed to dig into the meal? See, wolf life is all about the pack life. There are some lone wolves out there when we, when we read about them, but there's an exception. Only about 15% of wolves go out alone, usually if it's sick or weak or driven out of the pack when food is scarce. Sometimes a younger wolf might kind of venture out alone, but 
but its goal is to start another pack. See, living as a loner isn't a preferred or long-term lifestyle. It's dangerous. A lone wolf has to spend a lot of time and energy trying to avoid other packs' territories. And see, we're a lot like those wolves. See, from the moment that we're born, we need human interaction. Scientists have made these fascinating discoveries about the powerful recognition and bonds between newborns and their mothers. It's why hospitals regularly have baby cuddlers who hold and soothe these premature and sick newborns when their parents can't or when their parents need a break. And then on the whole other side of the spectrum, there's this large body of research linking the lack of human touch in orphanages to infant mortality and failure to thrive and developmental delays. See, as human beings, we need to understand that we are drawn together. We belong together. Connection and relationship for us, are just it's not a luxury for us. They're a need. Connection and relationship are actually hardwired into the fabric of our being by our creator. They are a reflection of his very nature and the order of the universe that he has put together. And as our God calls us into relationship with himself, he also calls us into relationship and community with each other. See, his work for us on earth is relational. He has chosen us to fulfill his mission. And like Jesus' original disciples on earth, he has sent us out into the world to represent him and to introduce him to others through love and through relationship. And as we join together and find our place in the body of Christ, what happens is we find our true place. We experience acceptance. We experience belonging. For those who have maybe had a positive home life or family life, it might feel like this sense of coming home even though you've never been there before. With that sense of freedom to be yourself, to truly let down your guard, to to shake off the fear and worry about what other people might think about you. It's allowing yourself to be vulnerable to be free, to be accepted just as you are. To find that even in our weakness, we're stronger together as Christ fills us with his life and with his power. That doesn't make us perfect. Let me be the first to tell you that we're far from it. Right? As a church, we are the family of God on earth. And when you think about it, every family, even the healthiest of families, has a little bit of their own weirdness and dysfunction. But despite our best intentions, you know, we hurt each other. We, we bicker, we disagree, we wrong each other. But it's my hope and my intent that we are a body that lives like Jesus. That we're a body that, you know, is, is receiving and giving grace. That we're a body that treats each other with humility. That, that, that we're a body that apologizes and seeks forgiveness when we wrong each other. That we are a body that ultimately loves and serves each other and the world around us as God calls us to. And see, when we come together like that, we experience the power of God's Spirit within us. And when we come together like that, church, listen, we are stronger together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we, we close our time together. What I'd like to do is return to our rope for a minute. Right? That, that, that rope that, as we saw in Scripture, is woven of three strings. We, we've all been living through some of the most trying times in, in recent history for our nation, and in fact, for our world. And, and for many of us, our individual lives, and even our, our families, we've not been through something like this before. But if nothing else, the pandemic has exposed our weakness. 
The pandemic has exposed our, our vulnerability along with our need for each other. And I'd like to suggest this morning that as we join the cord of our life, with the cords of weakness and the cords of others around us, and we just let Jesus begin to let him just weave those strings together. And as he does, he creates a much more powerful rope. He makes us stronger together. And let me offer you just an ongoing invitation to each of us this morning. Let's continue pursuing togetherness in God's love. Let's lean in together to, to deeper relationships. Let's, let's support each other. Maybe for you that, that, that means taking the next step of joining us regularly for worship on Sunday mornings. Maybe for you, your next step is joining a small group, joining a, a journey group. Maybe for you, it's just, just greeting someone around that you don't know, or maybe it's reaching out to a casual acquaintance or, or even your neighbors or your coworkers or your family or, or your friends. Because see, there's a place in this community, in this church, for every single one of us. You are welcome here, whoever and however you are. And we're most definitely stronger together.